Moreover, I wouldn't have made that call with two years on the job. I don't know if I'd make that call tomorrow. I, I, it was one of those things where you just, you see, you take it all in in a split second. I didn't run down a checklist. I didn't look at, well, we got this and this and this. It, it, it's just one of those, um, you know, one of those situations that people get put into sometimes. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. It is Weekly Scrap number 111. My very special guest tonight is Danny Dwyer. Unless you lived under a rock, you have seen the Danny would go. He started out life in California, but ended up in Georgia, started fighting fire when he was 19 years old, Went to Atlanta in 2004, where in his words, he had a hell of a run. Moved on in 2020 from Atlanta, which is something we will talk about. So, Danny, my brother, welcome to Scrap Episode number 111. Corley, thank you very much, buddy. uh, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while, and uh, especially after putting, getting some introductions with you in Wichita. Man, this is uh, going to be great. Thank you so much, and uh, I I can't be more... uh, honored and still kind of blown away that i'm i'm sitting here doing this with you so dude i'm super excited uh so it's likewise yeah so very much so uh is there anything i missed in the intro anything you'd like to add no man you nailed it you nailed it just uh like you said uh grew up in california and then uh louisiana and then georgia and it's uh sad but a good thing but i've been here much longer than anywhere else in my life and this is home just got to throw it out there for all you uh, people that were wondering, much like myself. Uh, but, yeah, man, uh, it's um, Georgia's a great place. Been here for 26 years now. Okay. okay. I was going to ask, is, did California, the Cajun life, or did Georgia have the biggest impact on you? But that much time, it has to be Georgia, right? All three, and there are several people that really scratch their heads during uh, the year at my sports allegiances. I've got some very, very strange ones, and it's you know, all three places um, shaped me how I am uh, with attitude, uh, with food, you know, the whole nine yards. But yeah, it's it was a it was a I think looking back, it was a perfect amount of time spent in each place, each one without a doubt. Yeah, got a lot from everywhere. Nothing you're changing. Yeah, right. not a thing, man. I wouldn't change a thing for the world. Well, then kick it right out the gate. Audience is getting in here. They're getting here. Get your questions ready. Here we go. I'm going to read a few. I've got Clay McGee yelling, Danny, with five exclamation points. Repping <laughs> the Bravos. Go, I'm Danny. But it's, you got it. G-E-A-U-X, Danny. Go, Danny. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's up, homie? Going to be a good one. Welcome. Good evening. Go, Braves. Lots of Braves. There's okay. That's ah. enough. That's enough of that baseball talk. It's over. No, we're going to ride this one for a while. We got to. You rode the last one for a while, right? Oh, my God, yeah. All right. Um, Okay, that's enough busting. Okay, I'm going to start right out the gate with the fire that completely changed your life. We'll just we'll kick it up, tee it up, and kick it off right there with that. And I'll let you run with it and and go any direction you want. And people, throw questions or comments if you want to hear something. Okay, uh, well, June 28th of 2019, um, I was riding up as a captain uh, that night. My captain was off. Uh, riding the truck, uh, truck 16, Northwest Atlanta. Uh, the long and short, we were dispatched to a fire that was uh, way out of our territory, had a pretty extended response time, somewhere around, I want to say, eight minutes for the first engine to arrive, which is an eternity for us. We've got about um, four and a half square miles per engine company. So, you, you know, all six, your first six do rigs are there within minutes of each other. And this was a pretty, pretty long run. And it kind of threw, it, it throws your thinking off and route because, you know, 
why are we going down there? The, the, even being on the ladder truck, we didn't run into that territory very often. So I'm scratching my head the whole way there. The comments look good on the computer. Like we got something working and, you know, of course everybody's keyed up a little bit. And the first two engine officer arrives, a very good friend of mine, extremely confident fireman, hell of a captain. Um, he got there, gave a working fire on a uh, one story frame over a basement, four sided brick ranch, uh, you know, established command ran through his whole thing. So he gets out, does his 360, comes back on the radio and says, we have a confirmed entrapment. Um, I told the guys in the rig that were t- I had, it was me and two drivers on a, uh, 103 foot TDA track, uh, tiller truck. Okay. So we didn't have a fourth guy, um, unfortunately. And so it was myself and two drivers. And I just made sure that they heard said, guys, you know, we, you know, we got a confirmed entrapment. I'm going to go get us an assignment, meet me on the A side, which was our MO. I, I think every good truck officer in that organization, that's what they do. Uh, so we arrived as the fifth new piece of equipment, second truck in, in Atlanta, your second and first truck are interchangeable. One is vent, one is primary, depending on what the needs were. Technically, uh, first two truck kind of got screwed on that deal, and they got assigned. Uh, I think they were assigned to give throw ground ladders, <clears throat> and we were given primary. So, worked well for us. And the, I remember looking at my buddy that was captain on twenty five truck, and I'm like, "Sorry, man, <laughs> you lose this one." You know, <laughs> again, we knew we had an entrapment, but those were sometimes, you know, it was we were still operating like normal. There was nothing other than a little bit of heightened um, radio traffic and a sense of urgency by the first two guys. Everything was rolling like normal. There was nothing out of the ordinary. It was a bread and butter job when we got there. The video that was shown online and the media and social media was post-flash. What we had when we arrived was fire out the Bravo Charlie corner on a one-story frame. Everybody's been to one of those. If you've been on the job five minutes, you've been to a bedroom fire. And coincidentally, it was a kitchen. But Nevertheless, um, you know, once we popped the front door, we had good smoke pushing out the front, maybe chest high, but it wasn't pressurized. It wasn't, there wasn't a high speed to it. It was, it was, it was just pushing from the, you know, filtering its way to the front. Right. And uh, so we had a quick conversation on the front steps. At the same time, the captain's given me a verbal to get him a primary incident commander has given us a primary over the radio. I acknowledged it. Um, again, my two drivers I had, we spotted the apparatus about, hundred, just a shade over a hundred feet from the front door. Um, they had to get out. They had their night pants on their turnout pants. They had to get their coats, tools, helmet, you know, whole nine yards. And that's what we do. You know, they got to get dressed. It is what it is. And there was, a, you know, there were some questions and discussion about whether they were dragging ass. And I wanted to spell that immediately. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They were where they were supposed to be exactly when they were supposed to be there. So, um, I went up to the A side again, face to face with the captain, got a primary engine pushes in with a charged hand line, protecting the rescue exactly how they were supposed to do. I f- gave them a couple feeds of hose fell in right behind them. Again, these were ideal conditions um, out of the fires that I've been on that we had an entrapment. This was probably the best conditions for survivability that I've been on. And I remember that, like remembering that, that it's like, damn, this is, this is good. You know, we got a good shot here. Um, I took a step into the living room. This is, I think we were somewhere a a tick over 1200 square feet. Easy, you know, small house. They pushed in straight down the hallway. I went in, made a quick left, crawled maybe 10 feet and found the victim lying on the floor on, uh, in an opening between the dining room and the living room. Okay. 
tried to get out on the radio, couldn't get out because of some other unnecessary radio traffic that was going on and just started pulling her towards the door about six feet from the front door, uh, flow path, everything changed house lights off. And that was a wrap for her at that point, unfortunately. Um, but we were able anyway, got her out the front door and in the video, you see two guys coming up the steps with me on the front porch. Those are the truck guys. So we Todd and I clocked it on the helmet cam and we were somewhere around 57 seconds from the time across the threshold to back to the threshold. So pretty quick. And right. again, these guys had to get their tools and equipment, get dressed hundred foot trot up to the house. They were where they were supposed to be. So um, again, she expired in the front yard. Um, and that was that for the fire. I mean, the, the um, after effects, we, we did an after action, the following shift, that went sideways for there were there were a lot of um things that happened on that incident that were really close we should have we had we had some major issues um and the two guys that were on the engine the the captain and the nozzleman were very lucky to they're still walking around the earth today they had a burn through on the hose and if they weren't running some some really good uh key combat they're not here. Yeah, right you now. had those pictures of that hose, and it was pretty. Yeah, amazing. that was uh, that was an eye opener. And again, we didn't even notice the hose until three hours later. And this is again because of the fatality. We got there just before one o'clock, and we didn't leave till almost shift change. It was like six thirty when we pulled out of there, so we didn't notice the hose until we were picking up. And we we're like, holy shit! So again, there were some issues with the first two captain with another officer that was there, and and so there was a lot of bickering. It, it was not a clean after action, so. An hour or so into it, the incident commander who that night, you know, kind of gave up and was like, hey, what happened? You know, told him what went on, gave me a little fist bump. It's like, good job. You good? Yeah, I'm good. We're friends. We, I mean, the guy had run 95% of my fires that I've been on the last probably the three years prior, maybe even four. Um, so we were good, good friends, had a good relationship. I mean, there's, there's no, there was no bad blood there. Um, I think that he tried to make an example of me at the after action in front of a bunch of guys that I'd never met. There was, you know, um, again, we were out of the battalion, but we were way out of the battalion. So there was a lot of guys I remember looking at that were at the after action I'd never seen before. Right. And he, you know, everybody goes around. What did you do? What did you see? Blah, 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 blah. And he gets to me and he's like, truck 16, what'd you do? Or what'd you have? I told him, I said, you know, we got here. And he goes, we, who'd, who'd you have with you? And I was like, here we go. Okay. And so I told him who I had on the truck and he goes, no, no, no. Who was with you inside? I said, the two members off of engine 22. And he goes, so you were inside by yourself. I said, no, two guys off engine 22 were with me. And we go back, you know, there was, it was very calm. There wasn't any, you know, and you know, he basically accused me of freelancing and I took every ounce of uh, energy I had to bite my tongue. And I just respectfully said, Hey, look, chief, we've been friends a long time. I, I respectfully disagree with you and um gave him my reasoning for that and long story short the, the following shift was which was a wednesday i came into work and had an email from our internal affairs that i had charges being filed on me for uh i think conformance basically not following a directive so um you know that kind of did its thing the the next few that was in june of of 19 the punishment didn't come down until february of 20 which in again in that organization with the size and yeah. backlog of stuff, it, it takes a while to run through everything. Right. But there was an internal investigation done um, by another uh, chief officer that was not at the incident. Um, she found me uh, or found the charges sustainable. Is that the word? Um, 
so she kept them, you know, kept the charges. And uh, again, there was so much scuttlebutt surrounding this. And this is way before anything ever hit the media. The media didn't get involved until the day the punishment came down. Gotcha. And there was so much about it within the organization. You know, the, the fire chief's cousin or somebody came up and he's like, ah, oh, man, you're going to be good. They're, gonna, they're just going to sweep it under the rug. And my big thing was like, look, I, I at the time, I didn't care about the charges. I've, I've had charges on me before. Some stuck, some haven't. It is what it is, part of life there. My big thing was there was a lot of things that happened on that incident tactically that I did not want to see continue. We can learn from it. Um, I, I have referenced the Meadowood Court fire in, in Virginia for the better part of a decade now, I think. Excellent opportunity for an organization to take what they did wrong and show the world what they did wrong and, and how they can correct it, you know, and that was always like top notch for me. And that was the first one I can remember where they had, you know, decent video from a, from a bystander. Right. I mean, it, everything was just spot on. And and for that being 2008, 2009, I don't remember when it was now technology was good. I mean, it was just, it was spectacular. So I applaud those guys for that. I wanted the same thing for us, even if they didn't want to go external with it. I was like, give me the tools, give me the time, as much as I despise target solutions, it's a good way to get stuff out to a large organization that spans a, a, a wide area without having to rotate companies through a training center for a year and a half. Right. They were like, yeah, 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 Lou, we got you. You know, we'll, we'll do whatever we got to do. And of course that never happened. And uh, that was the biggest frustration with me is they were more concerned with punishing me for something that they pay me to do. And they've spent, I don't know how many tens of thousands of dollars over my career there to train me to do exactly what they did right? or what I did. And um, we had a split second decision in a time frame to make a quick, clean grab. And it was done regardless of whether she, I don't know whether she would have lived or not had that flash not happened. I, nobody knows. And, and I'm not dwelling on that, but the problem is, is they were so concerned with one person's feelings and what it, the negative effects that my decision making could have had on the organization? Like, well, we can't have young guys doing what you did. And I'm like, well, then tell them not to. Moreover, I wouldn't have made that call with two years on the job. I don't know if I'd make that call tomorrow. I, I, it was one of those things where you just you see, you take it all in in a split second, and you go make you make. Uh, I for, uh, Lou Refrano, he's like, you got to make a move. You know right, that? Right. That's it. Wasn't I didn't run down a checklist. I didn't look and go. Well, we got this and this and this. It's just one of those, um, you know, one of those situations that people get put into sometimes, but they didn't want the organization, the younger members of the organization to go out and go rogue and and do crazy things like saving people from fires. I I don't know. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there was a lot, there was a, there was a lot of scuttlebutt again for six, eight months within the organization about, you know, uh, the very next shift, we had a fire, our first due. Well, I come in, and my like I said, my captain was off for extended few shifts. And I come into work the next day, and they had hired another captain to cover the truck. I'm like, what are you doing here? Because normally in, in, in a double company in, in Atlanta, you are the lieutenant of the company. The captain's off. He's on the car. You slide over. You ride up. Well, apparently, they didn't trust me that day. So they hired another captain. Of course, yeah, we have a fire. One o'clock in the morning, engine's first due. We stretch, go do, the, go do our thing. Well, our on-duty shift commander shows up, and I'm like, "Hey, chief, what's up?" He's like, "Hey, man, what's happening?" And I was like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "I got to come to y'all's fires now." And I was like, "Excuse me, you know?" So it was, I don't know, but uh, it, you know, it had a. 
I don't know that it had a negative effect on um, – it definitely was a little bit different um, moving forward after that. I got some weird looks from some people. My captain was uh, – had at the time was kind of pissed off about it until I explained to him that, you know, this is, this is a, a position that I, anybody that's on this job for the right reasons would do. Right. And at the end of the day, if that was his grandmother in the house, what do you want from me? That, that's it. Plain no, and simple. No, I, that is your mother. If you disagree with what I did. If you disagree with somebody that's been on the job for 20 plus years at a time and, and is trained to a certain level that they want, that's what I want them to do. No, I want them to any more clear cut than that question. Drift, right. Yeah. And that's what yeah. the, they're supposed, you're supposed to do. Yeah. It doesn't get any more clear cut than your question. You just asked, man. I mean, that's, that's the, uh, so, so roughly seven months from the time it happened until the, that, that you had to be, I mean, um, how was that trying to keep morale up while, while it was all going at the time? Or was it just kind of just, you know, it was, you know, within the company that I was assigned to at the time, um, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. It just kind of was like, Hey, we're, we're just not going to say anything. Um, there was a lot of scuttlebutt within the, you know, again, guys talk guys that are really into the job. Um, you know, they're like, Hey man, what happened? You know, massive bullshit, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's, I think that anybody in that department that had been around for a little while and enjoyed going to work and doing their job, we all knew that this could happen. Um, we knew they were, they were itching to make an example of somebody. They tried to get one of my best buddies that I was a fire. We rode, we rode tailboard together. I drove him as a Lieutenant. I mean, one of my best buddies, they tried to get him on some similar stuff a few years earlier. He retired. Um, and we again, we knew it could happen. I just damn sure did not think it was going to happen to me. Right. I really didn't think it was going to happen because of this fire. It's like you go to work, you do your thing, and next thing you know, you made a career-altering decision that I still stand by. Right. You know. Um, but you know, again, everything um, everything happens for a reason. If it didn't happen, I'm not sitting here. To, well, not if it didn't happen. If Facebook hadn't have done what it did, <laughs> right. I'm not sitting here talking to you. You know what I mean? So it's it's all been. Um, it's been an interesting uh, ride to say the least. Just when I think I'm kind of riding off into the sunset and everything's getting quiet, something pops back up on, on Instagram or Facebook again. And you know, no. hey. it is what it is, man. I don't, I don't think again, I don't think anybody, I didn't hear anybody that was like, Oh, you didn't, you know, nobody to my face said that I did the wrong thing. Um, other than the battalion chief. And, and it, you know, there were some, some, some minds were changed above him. But once the ball set in motion, there's no real going back from that. Uh, the fire chief had the opportunity to squash it. He didn't. And at that point, seven months had transpired. Right. I went from being a little nervous about having charges on me to being pissed that I was being suspended for something that this is what you pay me to do. They paid me handsomely. Atlanta paid well. So, you know, it's an officer. Wow. And I was like, man, you, really? Right. And it wasn't about the 48 hours. It was a principle in the whole thing. I'm like, how can you possibly suspend anybody for doing this? And that's when I was pissed and I was like, hey, you know, I told my union boss, I was like, let's, I think the words were, let's burn it to the ground. And it was really to put it out. They released a statement to the local press. There were, there were some people within the media that are very um, fire department friendly with the Atlanta guys. And they all had heard rumor about it. And we were just like, Hey, you know, we're going to keep it quiet until it's time. And you know, when it was time we dropped it and, um, it was ran- we expected to hit the local media. Right, it was supernova, and I literally went to bed at like it hit the news during dinner. It's like six o'clock, 
And me and the guys are sitting there, we're like, oh, they're like, ah, you're fucked. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're, they're just kind of giggling about it. And we ran a few calls about 11 o'clock. Facebook was going a little crazy. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I remember texting Paul. And I'm like, man, we might have screwed up. <laughs> and then by like 8 o'clock the next morning, it was over. I mean, it, it, it got legs and continued to get legs for a long time. And still sometimes, sorry, it seems like my dog's choking on something in the background, if you can hear that. But uh, so, yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, social media, people sharing stuff. It's a very, very, very powerful thing, to say the least, you know. Yes. Can you uh, hear that? I can hear him. I can hear him. He's, got a, he's working on a hairball. Uh, David Mellon said, my man, Danny. All hell reps. Everett said, good evening, brothers. Dustin Martinez says, the difference between freelance and foresight is outcome. When the rules and the mission create a dilemma or meet in the gray, which is expected to come first? So it's a good. deep thinker, that guy. He is. Uh, I like that. Wish I was able to. Oh, yeah, we got Brad. I'm, I'm t- and Dave, thank you very much. Dave and I, uh, Dave. I guess knew Dustin from a class or something he had done. And uh, Dave and I had a great conversation. He shared a really cool uh, story with me. So thank you, Dave, very much. And I really appreciate everything. I think about it a lot. So, no, and David even said, went a little further than, uh, than the ATL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, a little bit. John Vincent Buchan said, Brian Buchan, so John, Bo, uh, anyway, I'll get it right. Social media has changed the fire service so much over the last 10 to 15 years. Today's youngsters have no idea how much stuff was swept under the rug back in the day. You know, and it's also been really beneficial. Um, you know, there, there are pluses and minuses. There are guy, you know, stuff was swept under the rug. And then uh, I don't remember, I think it's Billy Goldfeder maybe coined the phrase of social media. Was it social media assisted career suicide? Something about that. Yeah, effect. yeah. Guys have lost their jobs. I've had buddies get suspended for stuff that they put on Facebook just as a joke. Right. Um, and uh, but at the same time, I shouldn't. I, I may be going out of limb here. These smaller grassroots conferences that are popping up, uh, Cody Trestrail stuff, um, into the job. All, you know, all these things that are popping up all over the country. The stuff in Texas. I mean, they are literally. They're like little spot fires popping up everywhere. I don't think they would have the traction that they would if we didn't have Facebook and, and, and uh, Instagram and have that connection. We Things used to go out like you'd, you'd see the little string and tacks on a board, and now it's just like they're just oh, – yeah. it, it goes everywhere. I mean, it's, it's nuts. It's not a spider web anymore. It's more like a quilt. God, it's bananas, yeah. man. And the, and the people that know this guy that know that guy, I mean, it really makes you uh, scratch your head a lot. Uh, Kevin Trapchak said, sometimes I feel like the higher people move up in the ranks, the further away from the mission they get. That's a, I, I, Kevin, what's up, buddy? I met him uh, last year at water on the fire. Great guy. Um, there is something to be said for that. Um, and I may catch some flack for this, but <laughs> he, regardless of what happens, you've got to protect your guys. Right. I, I think that's the cornerstone of, that sounds cliche, but it sounds like it's, it's the bedrock of everything about being an officer. And um, if you don't protect your guys, you lose your guys, you lose your company, you lose your battalion. But they're, man, it's such a fine line you got to toe. You got to keep, you got to, you got to protect your guys, but there's also, you know, a lot of guys won't dive on a grenade for their own job. If right. that, if that, and I'm not saying that this guy did, but if that had gotten back and, 
you know, they're Atlanta's famous for hammering the officer. If he didn't write a guy up for a, a blatant policy violation and they found out about it, he was going to tote paperwork. So it's kind of like where, you know, where's the line, but yeah. you know, I'll, I'll walk to the ends of the earth for any of you, you know, and any of the guys that I had, um, in my tenure there, I would go to the end of the earth for, but if you, I told them all, like, if you get caught on camera, you get caught saying stuff on the radio, which I did. Like, I can't protect you. There are right. certain things right. I can hide, but there is a lot, you know, if you get caught on camera and they're everywhere now, like you're up a creek, you're going to have to ride with it. You know, it's just kind of a, it's a tough one, but yeah, he's right. Uh, David Stender asks, are you happy at your new location slash department? I am uh, happy is, is, is an understatement. I definitely miss being downtown. I miss the guys. I absolutely miss going to fires. Um, the trade-off uh, where I am now is a uh, four now four station apartment. We're for the year we're gonna we're gonna run about what the last three or four engines I was assigned to downtown did. I mean, it's but it's slow, but it's it's. I didn't know how bad I needed it, and um, my buddy, the, the fire chief up there, has been a good friend of mine. He came from Atlanta as well. We've been buddies for the better part of my, well my whole career there. Um, he threw me a life ring that I didn't know I needed. And nice. when this all when this all jumped off, he's like, "Hey, man!" He's like, "Yeah." I remember he called me up. It was like the first day of my suspension. He's like, "I got a I got a deal for you." And I'm like, you know, something of that along those lines. <laughs> you know, I, if 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 he hadn't reached out, it would have never been on my radar. I would have um, rode this thing completely out through civil service. Probably would have been terminated, and then had to fight for the next two years to get my job back. Right. And just to put that in perspective in that organization when you have adverse action whether it's a you know suspension you can file a grievance and it goes to a, a civilian panel with three people on it usually within about eight nine months okay this hit february of 19 there was another little thing that hit february of 19 COVID. and the whole country shut down I mean, yeah. they were backlogged two years almost at that point right so i'd still be sitting here right now not drawing a check so you had you put all that in and in, in, in wrap it all up and I, and I I had a long time I had a few weeks to think about what I was going to do and, and whether I was going to accept this other position or or duke it out and that was my initial instinct It's like fuck them I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna embarrass them again if they want if they want it I'm gonna give it to them right and my lawyer was you know he's like yeah well I'll do whatever you want to do um but after a few weeks of my wife was home because they shut school down my little girls two at the time, two and a half. I mean, you spend some time there. It's like, okay, what's it worth? What am I going to gain from this? I knew the minute this hit social media, I committed career suicide for at least the next five years. The whole executive staff was going to have to retire before I was going to get a decent assignment. Um, you know, I was, I was up a creek, but I was cool with it. I'm, a, I'm about principle. I, I feel like I did the right thing and fuck you. What are you going to do? Stick me on an engine that's running more than the 4,500 calls a year I was already doing. Right. You know, it is what it is. They just stopped me at the airport running five calls a year, and that would have been their punishment. But at the end of the day, I had to weigh it out and do what was best for my family. And um, I wanted to be selfish and do it for me, but it's not just me anymore. And, you know, uh, I, but to, I said all that to say this. I'm extremely happy there. I, I feel better than I, I had no idea how tired I was until I left. Nice. And um, I'm, I'm getting rested there. I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm a better person in general. And it, it was a it was a, a life change that I couldn't. I can't explain it. It, it just. Oh, it, you can it, hear it, it. You can hear it in your tone. You can hear it in your voice. It's good. Um, 
Gus uh, Salcedo said, Danny, as you travel, do you ever get other departments, fire chiefs that tell you that you did everything right or I would go to bat for you type thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the first two that come to mind outside of the state of Georgia, uh, Mo Davis, my man from Houston. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, and Scott Thompson. I mean, I I reference Scott and what he's doing in the colony. Um, I don't remember who it was. I, I was talking with somebody. I, it may have been on, on on James Gearing's podcast or something. And I'd never met Scott. You know, I, I don't even think I knew what he looked like. And I met him uh, a year and a half or so ago at Water on the Fire. And we were in the hotel bar in Pensacola. And he's like, Danny. And I was like, hey, yeah, what's up? He's like, Scott Thompson. I was like, I want to have a beer with this guy. And, <laughs> and just, man, those, my buddies from Texas, I, I love y'all, man. They, those guys are the uh, – when you think of a big old Texas grin, those guys got it, man. They're just some of the nicest guys around. But, no, there are still a lot of uh, captains, battalion, company officers, chief officers, the whole nine yards, all the way up to Scott who and, and my boss right now that, that will back you when you do the right thing. It's, it's not dead. And that to that point, you know, there's a lot of people out there, especially – Three to five years ago, ten years ago, oh, the Brotherhood's dead. Fire service is dead. Fire, not even close. Right on. Not right on. A fucking fraction is it gone? You know, and you really, you really find out how little this job is when something like this happens, and you got guys reaching out from all. I mean, it's huge, but it gets small real quick. I don't know how if that makes sense. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But holy crap! I mean, it, it has literally just been eye-opening, refreshing. I just there's not enough words to describe it. No, and I, I think I referenced. Only, I think it's the biggest one. I referenced it last scrap, but brush brush at uh, water on the fire this year. Brush told me something that stuck with me, which is once you get outside the walls of your department, you yes. realize that the fire service has no walls. That was good. I listened to you said yeah. that in uh, Stevie's today. I think. Oh, okay, I like, yeah. That, so that, that cool. Yeah, that one stuck with me, obviously, because I keep quoting I it every time someone brings really it. cool quotes like that. I got nothing. Yeah, I got Brian's, a, Brian's a genius, though. We all want to be Brian. He's doing some really good stuff, man. And that, speaking that of, Scott and Mo are both going to be in Arkansas uh, this weekend. I'm going there to teach with them, so I'm going to oh, see nice. them both. I'm super pumped about that, just to bring it full nice. circle. Man, um, those guys are just two of the most genuine guys that just still love oh, the No job. doubt about all it. All their time on the job, I mean. Uh, you know, gosh, they're just, they're too much, man. They're such good, such good dudes. And just to stay on topic, uh, the people this month, November, November for the scrap was Dave McGrill, Danny Dwyer. Then it's Kevin Lewis, Julio Ramos, and then closes out around Thanksgiving with Mo Davis. Just which to, Kevin Lewis do you have? Uh, Twisted Truckee out of Texas. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. One of my best buddies in Cobb County here uh, locally is Kevin Lewis as well. And he's on the, he's uh, on the circuit as well. So I didn't know. I know okay. there's a couple of Kevin Lewis's floating around. I may have to, uh, Reach Hit him out. up. Yeah, let me know. I'll add him to the list of people to reach the, out to. The, the big cheesy Lou. He's one of a kind. He's got phenomenal hair. So Okay. Um, Tony Nunez asks, how many job offers did you get? <laughs> you know, one of my buddies is like, man, he goes, you're going to be able to write your ticket wherever you want to go. I don't think I got any job offers. Uh, Chief Thompson out of Texas is like, come on down. I don't know what that was. He's like, Texas living's good. I'm like, man, if I move my wife, (laughs) she won't be my wife for long. But, uh, you know, I think uh, loosely there were a lot of people like, come on, man, come on, you know. But it was, again, such a humbling experience. And uh, going down, you know, again, following Dave McGrail with the guys that are following me on this this month and in Wichita, stand there with 
Bob Pressler and Lombardo and all the other guys. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, how did this happen? No and doubt. that's the biggest yeah. thing. Every time somebody asks me about this, it's outside of Atlanta that, you know, whether it's a podcast or I, I'm still just like mind boggled that this <laughs> that one that. call and Facebook changed, totally changed the course of everything that I know, you know? That was, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, was awesome. John Vincent, Ryan Buchan says, do you keep in contact with firefighters at Atlanta and are they still going through what you went through? Um, yes, I do still keep in contact. Um, you know, some of my best buddies I've got in life are, are there and I hope are listening, but, um, are they going through what I went through? I, I don't know that specifically that I'm aware of. There have not been any incidents that match mine with the same outcome. Uh, they're going through some staffing issues like everybody is. They're going through some rig replacement stuff. Thankfully um, for them, the two uh, gentlemen that were spearheaded this whole thing, uh, the fire chief and his first deputy are, well, the first deputy I think is still there, but has been demoted and the fire chief since retired. And they've got um, a fantastic fire chief right now. He's got one hell of a, um, mountain to climb he's they they left him with the department shambles but he's i think I, and i really hope um he's the right man for the job and then one of my my mentors one of the guys i hold um in the highest degree is their their uh, deputy chief of field ops and he's he is one tough as nails fireman good dude looks out for the guys so nice, I, nice. there's been a lot of changes and i really hope they're for the good you know so i want nothing but the best for that organization i'm not mad at the guys i'm not i was i was mad at those two people that, uh, that did this whole thing. But overall, I want nothing but the best for that place. I had, I learned, I, I was so fortunate to um, be assigned to the companies that I, I was. I had some outstanding officers. I had some really bad officers. I learned, you know, you learn a lot from both, but I, I, w- I could not have scripted a better career when i left the department i started with and, and, and went on to get to be busy and, and to kind of do all the things that firemen want to do i got to do it all i i, I mean i really i'm i'm so thankful that I, I made the move i wouldn't trade a cup of coffee for the t- for not a cup of coffee for what i i did down there it, it just it was um it was an amazing run i, I wish it had i wish i could have done my 30 you know and and, and hit the door but right things, right. things change no doubt, no doubt, man. Uh, let's see if I'm missing any questions here before I move topics on you. I mean, yeah, Cobb Fire has an amazing pool of talent leaders, yes. All right, I'm looking at Dustin, say that. <clears throat> no, that, who was who said that? Uh, Sean Laley. Okay. That, that one counts. Yeah, that was, that was ding number one. Um, let's see. So let's switch gears and talk training, training development. Mm-hmm. You're big on training and training development. Talk to me about your training philosophy, basically, if you have ever really dug deep into it. Know that I've dug too deep into it. Um, and, and again, to quote some of the guys, uh, I know I listened to Stevie this morning, and, and Dustin was very forthcoming about, um, you know, we, we plagiarize everything. Yes, I, didn't, yes. none of this, I didn't make up any of this. 100%. You know, um, and Todd hit on it, and he and I share a lot of the same values when it comes to this. Just making it realistic. Um, you know, YouTube is a, an amazing resource, but can also be a thorn. Um, Target Solutions is absolutely awful. <laughs> but again, one of the things I think one of the questions you asked me, it, you know, we as as a fire service as a whole, 
there's been a lack of war for it's just continually going down. You talk to the guys that came on Atlanta, excuse me, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, like, oh, man, you know, when they were doing this, when the dome was being built, man, we were burning stuff every day. The guys in the 80s, like, oh, when they were building this, we were, you know, everybody had their heyday. Right. Going back to the beginning of time. I had my heyday. You had yours. Yours is not going to – the guy that's coming on the job now in your organization is not going to have a quarter of the fires that you did. Right. It's just life. How do you get those guys to your level? How do you get them to, the, to a comfort level that, where they can make the best decision with the minimal amount of information from being asleep 10 minutes earlier? Like, how do you get them to that point to oh, where yeah. they're, if they're not going to fires consistently? And, you know, my last, it, uh, my last assignment downtown wasn't it, um, where I left out of, but when I was at 16 where all this went down, um, I was, I was there from, uh, I guess, two and a half, three years. They still have the most first due fire in the city bar none. They have for, I don't know how, since as long as I, I can remember 25, 30 years, I was very lucky to be there. You got, I wish every officer, every extra driver, every firefighter could rotate through there for I wish it was all magical. You asked what I could, what I could do. I wish I could make everybody go to fires because you gain so much knowledge from doing it over and over and over again. You can only do so much on a drill yard, but it's still better than nothing. You know, like Stevie said, he's like, I don't stretch every day, but if we haven't had a fire in a few weeks, we're going to stretch. We're going to put hose on the ground. Um, so you can't replicate the true incidents, but you can do everything, but right. You can get out, pull hose, Pulling hose in a parking lot behind the firehouse is better than nothing. But if you can get permission to pull hose at an apartment complex that's under construction and doing, you know, um, hook, you know, dropping couplings, hooking them up, hooking up um, the inch and a quarter and dragging them up, rope, whatever you want to do, get out and do them in buildings that are occupied or unoccupied. Set for demo is even better. So the big thing to me is just getting it as realistic as possible. Um, I love, and prior to this whole thing jumping off, like the most you'd ever find me talking to is maybe, you know, six guys that were in my live fire group that I was yeah, doing, you know, right. that, that was, um, that was the extent of my teaching really. And, um, but as I was going around and doing this and people were asking more questions, my, my big thing, I loved, um, Todd nine, another good buddy of mine taught a lot of, um, our AOIC class downtown, my acting officer in charge. I love getting guys that are firefighters that have been on for a few years or drivers ready to make that next step. Nice. Nice. Even in the company level, like I loved um, where I was, both my captains were off a lot. They rode the car a lot at 16 when I was at uh, a new Lieutenant at two, um, they were off a lot. So I got the opportunity to ride up, but that gave my guys the opportunity to step up and be the boss on the engine for the day. And that's huge because not only are they going up, but the firemen's riding up and driving. I mean, it, it's a, it's a trickle down thing. Um, so that to me is, is where my passion lies. I don't know if I was a good company officer or not, but I was taught by some good guys and right. I can regurgitate pretty well. Um, so I, I love trying to share that information and getting them better. Um, giving good, solid fire ground reports, size ups, radio traffic from the seat is huge to me. It's, it's the cornerstone. It's, I said that again, I think to, it sets a tone for everything. Yes, and yes. I think Stevie or somebody was talking about, you know, guys that get, that start getting a little sketchy on the radio. It ripples as well. Right. And then you got battalions like, Oh shit. Can these guys handle it? What do they really have? He's coming in and already come out with a plan B, which is going to be defensive and nobody wants to do that. <laughs> so keep your shit together. I don't care if it's 
the world is burning down around you. Take a deep breath, key up the radio and give them something tight just for a second to get people chilled out to where you can still do your job, make a decision right, wrong or indifferent, knock it down, do what you got to do, bust it in the mouth and go for it. Nice. You know, that, that to me, but you've got to have the experience and that's some of that stuff. And that was a hard thing for me too, as a new officer was like trying to figure out what drives people. This is more of a psychological battle than it is anything else. And trying to get people that don't see things like you do that aren't quite into the job to get them to still enjoy it enough to where they can sort of be good at it for the time and make good decisions. You can still make solid decisions and this not be your life, you know? So trying to get that, that honed into a person is, is what I I really, really enjoyed. Nice. No. And, uh, like what what, I had a, well, let me ask you Justin McGill's question. He said, is the a, OIC acting officer in charge, something you're still interested in doing might have to add that to the list. We discussed cheers, brother. Absolutely. Okay. I'm in Justin's great guy. I'm, I'm sad. Uh, I'll have a little course amount for his mullet that he was sporting in Wichita. Cause that thing was, uh, something else. Um, but yeah, <laughs> man, I, I absolutely still love it. Um, it, it's, it will always be a passion of mine. I am a, uh, toilet cranking backstep tailboard fireman now, but I still have that in my, that's just part of, of who I am and who I, you know, kind of decided I wanted to be. And, um, but yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Now a question oh. I have is when you, when you see, when you see someone, you know what I'm talking about when you see someone, you're like, that guy has it. He has the leadership qualities that you look for the natural, whatever it is, but you see it, but they don't quite realize it. Is there something you've been able to figure out or do to push someone to nudge them in the right direction? Um, I think the problem I ran into a lot downtown still was keeping them, uh, keeping their head in the game. There were a lot of guys because of decisions that were made there that were thinking about going to other departments that were talking about make, you know, whether they were going to promote or not. And, and you know, and you've been doing this a while as well. Like, you know, when you see somebody that has a passion for it, to see that passion get snuffed yeah, because of, of, politics policy Sorry. policy yeah. it's like how do you keep these guys happy when it's just a raining shitstorm outside of your four walls of your firehouse how do you uh, chief told me years ago he's like i can't control what comes down from the top but i can control what's inside these four walls right on. there's a lot of truth to that but eventually stuff's going to start leaking in the door yeah like how do you still keep those guys motivated when the essentially their world as they know it is crumbling around them? you know there was so much talk over the last 10 years with a couple fire chiefs ago about whether, you know, he was questioning the amount, like how aggressive we were and whether we were going to be searching vacant. They, they literally sent a directive out at one point that we were no longer going to search vacant buildings. They have no power. They have no gas. How do they start on fire? Right, Somebody right, who's in there, right? right? And to reference the Solomon report, we had a line of duty death in uh, Thanksgiving of 06. NIOSH came out and said, Atlanta has an inordinate, I think is a the word they use, an inordinate amount of vacant occupied dwellings yeah, they, there you go they didn't even outside the department <laughs> they didn't even they know you know so there was a lot of stuff back and forth and you know trying to keep the guys motivated task driven but then you can't bitch down either right because i get frustrated so i have to oh, go yeah. off and call my buddy <laughs> and, like, and then walk out with a smile like everything's okay you know so it's it was a task man it you know um hope i answered that question correctly i feel like i got off off track that was a beautiful it was hey that's the beautiful thing about the scrap you can just chase squirrels and go down rabbit holes careful dude because i will i will absolutely do it all right no that's that's a hundred percent 
Um, let me see what I've got. Justin said, you had to go there, didn't you? Rip to the locks. Um, <laughs> Target Solutions is awful. Was like John Vincent. Uh, I'm looking here. There are no vacant buildings. I like it. It's from Robbie Townsend. Robbie oh, said, man. Robbie says, the officer of the house sets the tone when it comes to training. We have to make sure our guys are ready to take our spot. Beautifully and said. Robbie, Robbie is, um, we just met recently, but I'm, I'm friends with him on Facebook. And that dude, what he's doing with his guys on a daily basis is, is something to set your, uh, set your goals for. Nice. Um, you know, they're, they're constantly doing company drills, working out together. I mean, it's, it's, it's impressive. My, my hat's off to you because it's, it takes a lot, man. It's, you know, when you have a good crew that, um, it's a well-oiled machine. I had lightning in a jar for a very short amount of time as an officer on engine one downtown. And it was, I think I, I, you know, other than the captain and the front end driver, I think I might've been the oldest guy there at like 38, 39 at the time. I had a a cast of knuckleheads that were no older than 25 full of piston vinegar and bangs and red bulls and everything else. And it, you know, that place ran itself. Mm-hmm. I got on the rig. I was I was hustling out the door, and those fuckers were dressed and in the back, you know, ready to go. And like, what are you doing? Let's go! <laughs> and they, but they handled everything. They did. They, I didn't have to do a thing. There was no. They didn't call in sick. They didn't. You know, it was it was it ran itself. And when it's it's easy to almost get complacent in that point because sure. you know the guys are tight. I don't need to go out and practice stretching with them. They got it. So then we start working on the AYC stuff. We start working on the extra driver stuff. I really liked getting guys that were new, um, getting them passed up to drive the engine, then ready to go to the seat. And then, you know, by the time that came around, they were testing for driver or lieutenant. And it's like, I love you, but you got to go. It's time to get your ass out of here and ready into the next spot. Let me get the new guy in to take your spot. Right and, get him ready and just, you know, rinse and repeat. Very nice. Uh, Chief Scott Thompson chimed in. He said, I would work for you, brother. So there you go. You talk about, again. Uh, that was a compliment. I mean, shit. What do you say to that? Thank you very much, Chief. I, that's, I, I got nothing. <laughs> um, John Vincent Ryan Buchan said, are you all, is that two names or is that one name? I, I have to find out. But are you already booked for events in 2022? If so, where? I have, I, ooh, I think I got Clay McGee. I think we're going to Birmingham uh, towards the end of 22. But um, right now, 22 is kind of wide open um, on purpose. I, I'm, uh, like Corley, you know, you and I were talking a little while ago about you know sacrifice and what it means oh, to yeah. be on the road and doing this kind of stuff. And as much as I love um, going across the southeast, I went to Wichita. Like it's all been so much fun and to get to talk shop with guys, Wichita, if you haven't made it to the end of the job and you're not there next year, you are missing out. That bar none was the best conference I've been to. You, anytime you go to a conference, you get people that are already a little bit more than the average, right? They're going out of oh, town yeah. or whatever, paying their own way sometimes. But Kansas was on a different level. That was those crazy type A fuckers that you want all of them working for you. Like that was, that was on a different level. I will never miss that again. Um, you know, uh, Isaac's not going to let, he's never going to have the same guy twice, which is good. But I was like, dude, I'll sit in the back and sell t-shirts. I don't care. I just want to hear who you bring in, you know? Um, so 22 is open right now. Um, I was kind of put on restriction by a four-year-old after Wichita. I'm not allowed to go anywhere for a while. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so families, family comes first always. So I don't know what 22 is going to hold yet, but, um, I know Clay's, uh, conference was far enough out. I want to say it's August or September next year. So it was far enough out. I could. 
I could throw that one on the books quietly and not get uh, – not get yelled at yet so right right no and it's tough I, it's tough man the family and the and the a still being on duty and then trying to travel and make the appearances and all of it man it is uh it can be taxing anybody it does it knows yeah it's an awesome awesome uh problem to have to juggle but yeah it is and like i said man it's 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 just straight up humbling and meeting people that are that are um that into the job that they come and listen to I, I put my pants on one leg at a time, dude, like anybody else. And they, they want to come and listen to what I have to say. It's just, it's mind blowing still. Uh, Magic Wand, no budget. What is the perfect training setup for you? God, I wish you'd give me some time to think about this. <laughs> I mean, to have, to have the facilities, and that was something that um, I think a lot of places are lacking. Mm-hmm. To have a state of the art training facility with a legit class A, no LP bullshit burn building, multiple floors, a training tower, state-of-the-art classrooms with all the, like, technology has come so far. We don't, you know, I think probably when you and I started, they were, we were still drawn on a chalkboard. Like, that okay. That was normal. Then we went to wetboards, which was crazy. You know, but to have the top-of-the-line technology, to have a cadre of instructors down there that – should be there training um, in Atlanta for a number of years. I've got a hell of a training staff down there right now, but for a number of years, that was a punishment. Right. Believe it or not, if you scored in like the top five on the lieutenant's or captain's exam, you were going to a 40 hour spot, which was going to be training or inspection. So nobody wanted that. So then you get guys that were sharp, smart guys studied, know the job and they end up at training and they're pissed. And a lot of them, like the guys that came that put me through were, still some of my best my best buddies and mentors sure they made the best of it but you should training being a part of a cadre or an instructor at a training academy in any organization should be a, a, an honor yeah. it doesn't just go to anybody you should you should want to get there and you should be honored if the fire chief comes to you and says hey i want you or the division you know training division chief um and i don't know i, I have very limited knowledge of other training organizations um it seems to be that way in New York, but we all want to be what where they're at. But sure. you know, to have to have top notch instructors that want to be there, to have resources, you know, to have a dedicated engine or two, oh, a yeah. dedicated yeah. ladder truck or two, you know, stuff that you know you're not having to pull companies for out of service to go down there that they're pissed off because they're not see it. It's just a that's my experience in that one organization. Sure. So I can't say you know, but again, to have. I think the big thing to me was just to be able to have facilities, logistics, holy shit, like just get stuff done. The fact that it takes <laughs> a guy around here, and I'm not going to throw it out there, but a year and a half, my buddy, but what I got one of my very good friends now, but he was a rookie. I had him as a semi rookie. He had two birthdays in the fire Academy Two. Wow. The dude was there for like 14 months. <laughs> That's bullshit. Okay. Oh, you, it does not take, 14 months to send you through firefighter one, firefighter two and EMT a, or whatever it is now. Right. But logistically, well, this instructor's not here today or this, you're in the middle of a 28 day pay cycle. Like that's bullshit. Throw that out. I don't care what HR payroll tells you, get them done, get them down there, get them out the door. But there was always, we ran into a snag. Every time you turn around, there was a snag with a recruit school. And, and, and that's, that's not realistic. Can you run them through in 
eight, nine months. I don't see why not. Right. I've never been in training though. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm speaking kind of out of turn. I think you can, I don't see how, I think logistics kill organizations. I think they kill divisions. They kill training. They kill, they kill all sorts of stuff, but you got to have stuff in place and timelines of people that can meet those timelines to get stuff done. And if you don't have that, it will kill anything. It'll kill a class. And it'll kill a training division. It'll kill an organization if you don't Absolutely. have logistics lined up. Absolutely. All hell reps. Everett Mansfield said, we should honor and elevate the training officer position. It should be I, so I, highly sought after that they have to have a process to get that spot. So. Uh, I cannot agree more. The um, What I was going to say is if an organization, let's say they incentivized it with a, with a, you know, a lot of money saying, this is the most honored position ever and put a, threw a ton of money at the position. And then you get people who are going after it for the money, you know? Yeah. And so it's such a, it's such a catch 22 of how do you, um, and it, I, I think uh, Everett's kicking on it there with a culture change towards it. You know, the mindset of the That's honor being right. there. Yeah. And so I think throwing money at it's the wrong answer. Um, oh, you got to yeah. level out. If they're going to a 40, you got to level them out, obviously, from a, from a 24, 48. That, that's just a natural. They're getting promoted. You know what? No, I shouldn't say that because we did not run anything less than a lieutenant um, in the training division. Might have been a couple FAOs down there doing some driver stuff at one point. But if you've got a senior fireman, that guy's got stuff to bring to the table. So don't discount him. Um, but – uh, you make if you put the right training chief or training lieutenant, whatever your organization has, with the right mindset in there, his bosses give him the leeway to do things and get stuff done. Then that will attract. I think it will attract the right guys to be there. If that makes sense, it's yes. got to be got to be a top down approach. Yes. Um, and you put the right guys there, they'll do it. I think it'll get done, but throwing money at it's a wrong deal. You know, there was always talk of giving uh, special operations pay in Atlanta. If you had any of your tech rescue stuff, hazmat, um, and as nice as that would have been, then you get a ton of people that want nothing to do with that. They're going to go through those courses, get the certification and say, well, Hey, I want my 3% because I'm a rope tech. Well, just because you're certified does not mean you're qualified to be in that position. And you know, I, I, again, I think throwing money at people for stuff like that, it's just a, it, it sends the wrong message to the wrong people. All right. I got a couple questions coming at you. First one's from Steve Kaiser. What do you think is the most important relevant topic in training for the modern fire, uh, modern service training department? How do you address a lack of war? That's that to me is the most I'll, I'll say this. It's, it's I'll, I'll couple it with this. Um, not having the fires and then um, trying to capture the hearts and minds, if you want to say that, of the, of the new guys coming in. Like, And I will not bag on millennials. Um, they're a different breed, but we were a different breed to the people before us. So I, I will not um, – you still have guys coming on the job uh, post-9-11 that know the risks that you and I had no clue, like – Having somebody fly a plane into a building and it coming down and killing 343 guys was never part of my recruit school. It was never – this was ever going to happen. And the fact that people still do that, still come to us, go to New York and do that, says something about that generation of people. Mm-hmm. That same generation has been fighting the United States' longest war in history, and they're still signing up every day. So I will not bag on those guys. It just takes a little bit to get to them. So – trying to motivate the newer newer group of people coming through 
and then trying to get them to our level without having the frequency of fire duty that all of us have had, whether it's, you know, whether you're in the smallest, you know, combination department with one station, you're still going to more fires now than they will be in five years, unless you're just in some weird, you're about to be a ghetto in a small city kind of thing. Right. Everybody's slowing down. So you've got to figure out how to get people to that level. Um, and, And I'll say this, you know, when I, when I first made officer, I beat my head against the wall for the better part of nine or 10 months trying to get, um, a couple guys. So I went in there idealistic, you know, and I, I, I didn't come in kicking trash cans and, and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And I'm in charge, but here's how I expect you to do things. And Steve said that he was like, how do you give an expectation sheet, but you don't show them. Like I was out there with those guys on truck day, raising the cab, pressure washing the engine off, cleaning the frame rails, cleaning the back, like making sure everything's tight. I kept, I think I kept a good engine as a driver, a good truck. Um, so I went out there and showed them, and then three weeks later, we're back on duty on truck day again. They go out there, and they wash it. They go and sit down and watch football, and I'm like, fuck. And that went on for months, months and months and months. And my captain was like, you tired yet? I was like, no, god damn it. I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna get to them. They will see – they're going to see the way. You know, and what, the one thing, the big takeaway from that is I have my bar that is Danny's bar. It's in my head. That's where I, I go. That's not, that's not Corley's bar. That's not – Frank's bar, that's that's mine. I set that for me. You got to figure out what that other kid's bar is going to be, where you want and They're only going to come to a certain level. They're not going to get to your bar because that's yours. It's in your DNA. It's in how you were taught by different people. Like you can get them to a point, but they're not going to absorb all of it. There's just, you got to figure out and get them to their highest level potential. And whether that's 120% and outdoing you or whether that's 40% of what you gave. But if it's that guy's hundred percent, that's where he's going to be. And that's where he's going to live. And you just got to know that. And then it makes it less stressful because if I know that a guy, his capability is only 40% of the normal guys, I'm not really pissed off about it. Cause the guy's giving me his hundred. Right. You just kind of realize that, you know, and it, that's a psychological battle that I had a hard, hard, hard. Oh, time absolutely. Yeah. No, without a doubt. Cause, and that takes a lot of investment in getting to know your guys. I mean, plain and simple. 100%. You've got to find out what makes them tick. Yeah. Uh, Scott Thompson throwing a question at you. Danny, what advice would you give a young officer faced with a go, no-go situation for lack of a better term? Got to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. Straight up. Um, you uh, that If you have time to think about whether it's a – this does sound so terrible. But if you have time to think about whether it's a go, no-go, it's – it's coming past that time is gone. So you've got to get these guys and, and he's in a position where he can do it. And he's got some absolutely fantastic guys working the colony. I, my hat's off to all of them. Um, those guys get it. You know, you got to get them to the point where you can, you know, trust them. Uh, Scott's got sons on the job. You know, at some point you got to send them out of the nest and let them go do their thing and just hope that you got them to their level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, got to train them up the best you can and just hope that they make the best decision. And they're not always going to win. I mean, I, I don't consider everybody said, grab, 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 grab. That's not a grab. That lady died in the front yard. That is, that is a, that's a fatality that was pulled out of a house. A grab to me that I was always taught was they walk out of the hospital. Okay. Um, I was lucky enough to have one of those that I'm aware of in my career. Um, the rest were just more fatalities. So, you just got to, you just got to give them all the tools you can give them the leeway to make those decisions, especially in his position is leading an organization. If you're involved with policymaking, 
give your guys a leeway to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Then don't get pissed off at them when they make a decision that you don't necessarily agree with because you weren't there at two o'clock in the morning, you know, on your sixth run after you went to bed. And you know, things change. And just right. realize that, like again, human your human nature is going to take over at some point. And you just gotta hope that they find that balance in their and their flow based decision making that they they go the right direction on that road, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense, but Kind no, absolutely. Absolutely, man. I love the answer. I love the answer. I'm trying to read trying to read through here. Um Yeah, I'm reading through questions. Uh battle tested leader, yes, okay. Any suggestions? This is from Justin McGill. Any suggestions on ways to prove to your men you know their worth within a department that doesn't have a history of doing so from the top down? Kind of touched you know, on it. But yeah. Yeah, you gotta, you know, um, I, I, we ran through that. Yeah. Um, and Atlanta, you know, you got it. I don't think that there was anybody that I held in a very high regard that, cause I didn't hold up. I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you, I didn't have, I didn't have all stars at every crew that I went to, but the ones that were, I made sure that they knew it. I spent more time with them, getting them ready. I spent time with the other guys. I didn't, I didn't put them on a pedestal per se, but I knew what they needed. I knew that I could provide more to them than I could provide to the guy standing next to them just because of their attitude and how they took things. So, you know, doing stuff and it's stupid, but you know, I don't know the last time. I don't know the last time that an officer, it's been years an officer gave us Christmas gifts at Christmas. I made sure I did it every year. No, absolutely. I felt weird about doing it as a driver. That's not my position, you know, but I always felt like that's a good way to say thank you. These guys, most of them, I was lucky enough to have them. They made me shine like a new penny 365 days a year. Yeah. Sometimes 363 and a half if you you count up some of the the counseling (laughs) sessions. But point being, you know, buy them a steak dinner every now and again. You're an officer. I don't give a shit how much money you're not making. You're making more than they are. What? Go out and spend a hundred bucks on dinner and maybe not take your wife out that weekend. Firemen are notor- the biggest cheap asses, but spend blow money. They'll piss and moan about not having money, but coming in a brand new F two fifty, but then bitch about paying eight bucks for dinner instead of five. You know right. what I mean? Like oh, yeah, get, bring, it, bring it, bring it back to reality. Let's let's keep it all level here. But you know, I always made sure. I, I hope I did that. They knew. You know, I think some of the biggest things to me, it wasn't like a big jovial hug or anything like that. Just. I had, I had a couple – well, one officer in particular that came up, and he was very, very even keeled, and he just came up and kind of grabbed my shoulder elbow and just said, hey, good job. And that's that's all I needed. Yeah, That is all I needed. It's just getting – one of my buddies said uh, a few years ago, he's like, just getting the nod. You get the nod from the senior man, the captain, that's it. Hard to knock. Yeah. Tate Hams asks, Danny, we have young, hungry firemen eager to learn – but officers and chief officers that have checked out and training isn't a priority. How do you get an officer engaged without counting down the days until they retire as an option? There's no softballs today, man. I don't know that I can answer that one. That's, that's kind of like, I almost said something's going to stick my foot in my mouth. Um, That's tough, man. If you can't, you can, a good friend of mine said, you can't shame the shameless. I'll yeah. steal another quote. I'll plagiarize like a you hey, know what? nothing we do is original here. You're all good. No, not at all. But there's a lot of truth to that. And there are some officers that will, if you go out and they hear ladders banging outside, like they're what the 
you know, they might be watching football or doing, you know, a lot of paperwork involved in it or whatever, but they're going to, I would think most of them would come outside and at least just, if you're the senior guy, it's like, Hey, you know, Lou, whatever, you know, tell me this about these ladders or, or, you know, don't put them on the spot. Don't say, Hey, you know, how many, inch, you know, how many gallons a minute are you getting out of this seven eighths tip right. on you know, two, two, five. Don't ask them that, but you know, Hey, how about, can you back him up? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, it's going to be tough, and I don't know that there's a right answer. Some guys, you're not going to get them out there, no matter how hard you try. But as a senior guy, as an eager guy, I know you want to go out to that engine and pull hose. I've been there. I've been like, ah, man, I don't want to go. I want to go pull hose, but I don't want to. You know, I don't want to get the guys pissed at me because they're inside watching a Braves game. I, you know, you got to pick the right time. Thirty minutes before dinner is not it. Saturdays, <laughs> you know. Todd, Todd and I share the same philosophy. Your ass is mine from like eight o'clock to one. After that, do whatever you want. So pick a right time, try and get him engaged and just know that you're not going to get that officer that's, that's about to hit the door. Bulk of them aren't going to come outside and do anything. And it is what it is. You give those guys that are younger the best you absolutely can. And then don't be that guy in five to seven, whatever, how many years, you know, be better than that. Learn, you know, and, and learn from what that guy does. Or doesn't do, you know? No, absolutely. That's a tough, man. That's a tough one. Dude, no, that's a, that's a fastball coming right at you, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a toughie. And yeah, he said it, man. You can't shame the shameless. Uh, sometimes the only option is waiting until they retire. Um, hopefully, yeah. another thing, Mark Von Oppen says it all the time, since we're just going to, yeah, is you don't need permission to be awesome. Not at all. No I one mean, has to give it, you permission to be excellent. No, it's yours. I mean, it's, it's yours to go get and do and um, – yeah, I, I don't. That's a tough one. That's Even the shameless. I've never met a off. Yeah, now I'm sure there's one out there. And I'm sure someone can correct me, but I've never met one who said, "No, you can't train out here on your own." You know what I'm no, saying? I've never seen someone not. shut it down. So if you and, have to, do, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Finish. No, that was it. They, I've never seen one actually come out and, and shame it down. And I'll be I'll be 100 percent honest with you. I had a couple guys um, at 16s, one fireman and my engine driver, that took things to a level that I cannot describe when it comes to ladders and I'm all about, I'm all about ladders. I'm all about cleaning the rigs. Like I said, I love to keep a good engine, good truck, you know, ladder day, we pulled all the ladders off. We washed them down, made sure all the halyards were good. Go through the motions, check the hooks, little WD 40 here. These scratchers were outside with literally with paraffin wax, waxing the beams. And I'm like, I remember standing in the kitchen window and I'm, I was talking to one of the guys. I'm like, what? are they doing? And they're like, that's what they do on ladder day. <laughs> I mean, but I can't, I'm not going to knock them. Right. I went outside and made a little fun at them and then asked them where they learned it. And then one of the guys is one of the most inquisitive dudes I've ever worked with. And he's like, well, you know, the manufacturer said he was quoting stuff out of duos. You know, I mean, it's like, man, that's awesome. Go for it. <laughs> you know, I, right. what do you say? You can't shut them down. You shut that down and then they're going to, they're going to, they're going to turn everything off and, and you've lost them. Yes. All right. See if I'm missing any questions. There's been a lot. I know I've missed some questions. I'm still scrolling through. Going back to my notes here. I'm glad that they're you're I'm I'm glad you're getting them. No, no, absolutely. They're, they're throwing good ones. Some of them are sometimes you get a soft toss, you know, but these ones of tonight have not been uh it's been a lot of hard hardballs coming at you. I hope I'm not yeah, I hope I'm I'm 
getting them out there. I'm hoping to get the right answers out. Has your career? I, I think it's been insightful. So it gives good. Thank you. Has career? Has your career been shaped more by good leadership or bad leadership, in your opinion? Probably an equal amount of both. Um, maybe that's not right. Good leadership is always going to outweigh bad leadership. I think that the bad leaders were so prominent, some of the things that they did, that that stands out more. Um, so the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's like a perfect so, answer. Tactically, how to lead. Like you learn all those things from the good leaders, but you also learn what not to do. Like I, but again, I had, I had captains that were um, not super aggressive and that's fine. Like if, if I'm your lieutenant. I'm here to make your job easy. But the only thing I ask in return is don't keep me from doing mine. Like if, if you don't want to go in, hey man, whatever, stay outside, talk on the radio. So I don't have to and let me go to work. Right. Don't do work. Doing my job. Um, and that's all I can ask. And, and the one that's sticking out that, that happened, I, I had no, we had no issues. I know what he's going to do. I know what he's not going to do. And that's fine. I don't operate like that. Um, the only issue I had was a couple different times. This person, actually, I think there were a couple of them. I'm like, well, hey, man, you know, if you're on the truck, I expect you to stay outside and take command. And I'm like, absolutely not. We run a three-man truck. Primary is no. That's just not write me up, do whatever. I need to be in the building. We we have three guys to search. Whether I don't care if it's a thousand square foot frame or if it's a a hundred by fifty multifamily. It's got to get done, and we don't have anybody. You give me two other guys in the back, sure. If that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. Probably not, but I'll still, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll work around it. But you got to be inside. You, you got to be inside as, as a truck officer and, and searching and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you, you learn an equal amount from both. Okay. like it. I like it. I like the answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I like answering a lot. If I don't know, I'm just going to be like, yeah, that's yes. <laughs> Dustin Martinez says, Danny, um, as an officer, did you ever struggle with, are your guys doing it because they believe in it? Uh, believe in what you are putting down or because you are their boss and they don't want to get in trouble? Um, more that they believe in it. Uh, again, I was, I was lucky. I got, um, I told you I had lightning in a jar for a while when I was uh, downtown at once. And I got, um, I was a firm believer and still talk about, you don't realize your potential until you get out of your comfort zone. Well, I had said that for years, but it never really been out of my comfort zone. I didn't realize it. And then I got shotgun blasted, you know, to a different company a couple blocks away that had the biggest diverse group of just people in all walks of life that I have ever seen under one roof. It was the strangest. I'm like, how the hell did all these people get here together? And this, like, it was just, right. it was weird. But I had people there that believed in it for the right reasons. Those are the guys with the with the paraffin wax out there on the beams and the ladders. And I had people in that same building at the same time that didn't really give a rat's ass about being there and just did because they knew that's what they had to do. And they would still, I guys, and I'm sure Dustin runs into everybody has, you have people that work twice as hard to get out of shit. If they would just put a, a fraction of that energy and <laughs> do the right thing, yes. you're golden. So um, you get them both. Um, and again, that's still a struggle. It's like, how do you get people to see things the way that you see things? And you're not going to get them all. You know, um, the thing that killed me um, years ago when I was first starting was sitting in the shit at the fire station reading Fire Engineering, Firehouse Magazine. I'm like, 
hey, Lou, like, why? What are these dudes in L.A. doing on the roof of this burning house? I was brand new. We right. did zero vertical vent in that department at the time. He's like, Ugh, big city stuff. Like, eh. I'm like, <laughs> all right. And I, I didn't know any better. Right, like, right. Okay, no, none of us did. 30-degree power cone. Uh, let's do this. Yeah, we didn't, you know, we didn't have a ladder truck at the time. So <clears throat> once you start getting a little bit older, a little bit more mature, and seeing that there's things outside of those walls, it's like, holy shit, there's a whole other world out here. So that killed me. But you get guys that – and guys and gals that, that are they're just going to be in all different walks of life. And you got, again, I think figuring out uh, – David Rose, a uh, good friend and mentor, told me uh, a few years ago he was, he was assigned to a really slow company for a while. I was like, dude, how do you, how do you get these people to like, do things? Because he's a good. He's aggressive. He, he wants to work. Right. And he's like, man, I just find out what they're into. And then he starts talking to them about – Whatever it is they're into, I think one of the people in his crew was into horses at the time, and so he find out, do a little research on horses, and then come in the next day, and next thing you know, this person's got buy-in with you. Oh yeah, because you're you're talking to them about what makes them click. Oh, you're investing. Yeah, you're investing. Yeah. It might be football. Exactly. Might be football. Could be cars, women, whatever. Find out what they're into. Get a little FaceTime with them. Show them that you care, and then I think you will get a little bit more buy-in from them. I've Again, I, I am. This is not my stuff. I'm. I, I still struggle with that. Oh yeah. Um, we're in a little bit different position now, to where it's not as critical. But you still got to figure that out. You know. No, no, and and th- nothing can replace that time and relationship building. So that I mean, no, nothing. And that's what was extremely difficult with Atlanta. You had guys that lived in Alabama. My driver downtown drove an hour and a half to work from uh, just the other side of the state line every day. You had guys that lived – I live an hour north of the city. You had guys that lived two hours north. What, so getting together for barbecues, for football, for pool parties on the weekends at all was a huge task. Yeah. You know, and then – so then we started kind of getting guys – there's a, a local brewery that we go to on Fridays that we started doing B-Shift Fridays. And all the guys we would get together before all of us were on C-Shift, we get together that Friday and trying just – and it was guys – but some guys drove an hour, hour and a half. A lot of the guys, we were 10 minutes away, you know, but we try, you gotta, it was just a tough, it was a tough yeah. one. And, and I don't know how Cobb, I, I, I grew up in Cobb County when I moved here and I, I'm familiar with the organization, but I don't know how their uh, cohesiveness is with their guys, uh, their, their members now. But, you know, where I am now is like the fire department that I started and the guys hunt together. They, the kids, they go ice skating together. They do daddy daughter date nights. They go to their, uh, my captain's son's playing varsity football. Now we all have a game plan to go see him play. Like that's what I love. And that's what I, I missed being downtown, but it's just hard to capture, man. You got, you have people that are some of the best firemen I've ever seen. And then you have some of the worst employees that you could ever imagine and they're on opposite ends of the spectrum you can't get these scratchers to eat with you much less come to your house on the weekend to hang out right, you know it's just right and you just got to know that that's that's just the way things are right. but the guy the good ones will always gravitate towards each other and you can get them to your house especially if you offer up beer and football or nascar or whatever the case is hell yeah you'll get them there so but again then you got it's it's tough man it's just it's a wild Wild world we live in, I guess. All right. I love it, man. A lot of questions answered. A lot. I love the stuff on getting together and making it intentional, man. That, that right. is, that, yeah, 100%. I like to ask if there are book or books that you think firefighters should be reading. There is a host of them, and I, and I, I think a lot of people that know me probably laugh. They, 
found out I do read a lot. Um, I don't think I come across that way. Um, I actually picked up, um, I actually saw so Dustin's texting me at the same time. He's asking you questions. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I picked up, uh, actually picked up, uh, outlaw platoon on Dustin's, on Dustin's recommendation recently. Okay. I'm yeah. halfway through that. It's great. Um, the reading list that leadership under fire puts out is phenomenal. Um, I am, a f- I would say three or four books into that, uh, Boyd, about Colonel John Boyd, who developed the OODA loop. That book is one that my tiny little brain is going to have to read three or four more times before I fully understand it because it gets into some pretty deep stuff. Um, I've got pilot buddies that read it, and they're just like, holy crap, like, it's impressive. Um, Call Sign Chaos is one of my favorite ones. I'm, I uh, unfortunately never served in the military, but those are the kind of the books that I, I gravitate towards. I'm not, I'm not a big fiction guy. Um what else is there? Um, gosh, there were a couple more that I had. Boyd, Outlaw Platoon, Call Sign Chaos. I just started reading Grit. Okay. Uh, Angela Duckworth was a recommendation. That's a really good book. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a handful of stuff out there. Again, pick up something that interests you, and it's not – Call Sign Chaos has nothing to do with the fire department. Right. Zero. Neither does Boyd. But it's about developing leaders and about how to be a good leader and how to take care of your people. But it's highly and, applicable. Yes, 100%. 100%. But you've got it. And, and a, Boyd was a – I think it was Boyd that was a really tough one. I'll be honest with you. Extreme Ownership, I love the book. I had a hard time correlating that to the fire department. And I love what Jocko does. It's a little bit intense for me a lot. But it was a tough one the first time I read it to really, like, spin this to, to company-level stuff okay. where I was at. Um, but Mattis, General Mattis was – I love the yeah, Call Sign Chaos is one of my favorite books I've read recently. Man, that's a good one. I mean, I, I wish I had time to read them more. Um, again, I'm doing – I need to do the books on tape thing because I've got an hour ride to work. And, I avoided uh, it for so long because I was like, no, I'm a reader. I don't listen. You know, Right, and right. Now I, I'm addicted to Audible, so – well, then if I lose that, then I'm, I can't keep, I can't even keep up with the podcast. Yeah, no doubt. No now, doubt. It's, it's so tough. You know, and a couple of them are, you know, two, three hours a piece. Um, it takes me like a week and a half to get through them, you know. But, right. Um, there are a lot of good books. Um, again, Leadership Under Fire has a really good reading list. Um, Combustible, the podcast, is a uh, podcast by three local guys. Um, I'm not going to throw out their organizations out there because I don't think that's uh, – I don't think that they mention it much. But they're both – they're all three are chief officers with two very large Metro departments okay. uh, here in the local area. And they do a really good podcast. They've got a great reading list. Combustible, um, great. combustible podcast. Combustible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're on the iTunes uh, platform. Um, the Marine Corps Warfighting, mm-hmm. Outstanding. I mean, that thing is just, I lent it out to somebody I was looking for it the other day to read it again. Cause it's a quick, it's a quick read right. and it's printed with really big letters like second graders, which is kind of how my brain functions. So, um, I wanted to read that again and I gave it to somebody and, uh, I don't know where it went, but I'm gonna have to order it again. So there's, there's a lot of good stuff out there and just pick it up. Not all of it's going to make sense. Not all of it's going to apply to you or your organization or how you see things. But if you can get one or two little nuggets from it, I mean, it's, you're, you're constantly, you're constantly picking up, picking up stuff. Absolutely. There it is. Uh, reading list. I, I, I'm really excited about the leadership under fire reading list. Cause I hadn't heard that. So Dude, yeah. I, if you don't listen to any there, there, um, I was fortunate to meet, uh, Jason Bresler. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Mm-mm. Okay. So, and I hope I'm not screwing this up if he or any of his people are listening, but, um, Jerry, dang, what was Jerry's last name? Jerry Smith. 
Baltimore Rescue One that spoke in Wichita. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so he's part of Leadership Under Fire and their and their group. Okay. Uh, Jason Bresler was a or he I believe he's retired now. Was major in the Marine Corps, multiple combat tours, Naval Academy grad, just super super highly intelligent guy. Um, and I saw him present at FDIC in fourteen, I believe. Um, and it was uh, it was making yourself hard to kill on the fire ground. Okay, okay. And me and a couple of buddies sat in there for ninety minutes and looked like we were catching flies. Our mouths just wide open, like holy shit! And, he, and I'm telling you, if you can listen to this guy and do some more research, especially on that class, and I I don't know what all he's presenting now or if he's presenting, um, but this dude has a possibility to change a fire service and flip it completely on its ass. And, and we had a conversation at the Clada one night. I, bought him a beer or just, Hey man, thank you. This is great. And he's like, I think he said, give me 10 years or something like that. He is a fireman on rescue two. I believe he just made Lieutenant. I don't know if he transferred out of the company or not, but, uh, drove Salka for a while. I mean, the guy's okay. got pedigree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his military background is nothing short of stellar, uh, in my opinion. And, um, the people that he has as part of the leadership under fire cadre are, from all walks of life. He's got, you know, Jerry Smith from Baltimore. He's got, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but he co-hosts a podcast a lot. He's the senior man at 26 truck in Harlem, but he's got guys that were, he brings people on that are like sports psychologists. He had the, like these two brothers that were division one lacrosse players and, you know, just how to, it's just motivational stuff and leadership stuff from, everything across the board it's not all fire department it's not all new york city it's it's a mix of everything it's a mix of sports really and fire department military and he just i i they they put a podcast out probably every three weeks or so and i cannot wait for those things to drop because they are really great to listen to chad small just posted a link to it so for everybody listening there's a link in the chat for people if you if you're on the facebook you can click on it um another oh i just i just realized um Oh God, it was on the tip of my tongue. One of the ones that's on their reading list. Um, that'll come to me in a second. Go ahead. Okay. No, I was getting ready to hit you with five questions. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Are you ready? Sure. We, little thing we do on the <clears throat> on the scrap. Five questions for firefighters. The answers are completely your opinion. The points are arbitrary. They're assigned by me. So, Danny Dwyer, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Hit me. Hit me, brother. Number one. We kind of hit this. Someone, I accidentally let one leak through that was the number one question, really. But so I kind of know your answer. Number one: What is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? Man, like I said, uh, lack of war. Lack to of quote Bresler, as a matter of fact. Um, oh, okay. You know, he uh, when I heard him say that uh, in India a few years ago, he was referring to the Vietnam vets that were still on the job when he came on. If I remember right, um, no, I take that back. I got that screwed up. Excuse me. They were referencing the war years in the fire department, and he correlated that with post-Vietnam military that didn't have – he had a bunch of inexperienced officers all through the 80s until Mm -hmm. that next conflict. And so it was kind of like, you know, he made it all kind of intermingled. Um, But, yeah, trying to get guys to the experience level they need to be to make the best decisions on the fly, get them into that flow-based thinking. Um, You know, we grind stuff into your head – in recruit school or probie school, whatever you want to call it, to where you're just you're just acting. You're not thinking. You're just like, I need to know. I know I need to do this. And then this happens, and I need to do that. That has to continue. That repetitive training has got to continue to where you just keep grinding that into people's head all the way through their career to where they are no longer nice. 
this is going to sound bad, but to where they're no longer thinking they're just acting, but they're acting based off of their training that you provide them that hopefully will fall in line with, you know, the mission of that, of that incident. So getting them to that level is, is, you know, uh, with the, without going to fires, you know, a couple times a week is just, I don't know how to answer it, but that's, that I think is the biggest, biggest push we're looking at. No, I love it. I love it. Especially lack of a, the training requirements and the lack of ability to have realistic training combined with the lack of OJT, you know, and I don't think anybody, everybody's, I don't know an organization in this country that's not facing that, you know, New York city has got their pockets. Don't get me wrong, but you know, you're out at a slow company somewhere. I mean, everybody's, everybody's got to be going through it. So I think it's, I think it's a national, if not an international challenge with this job. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, You know, recognition, prime decision-making, you know, the model that we all talk about, you know, how do you get it when you can't have, when there's nothing to recognize? Deep survival. Read that. Yeah. Okay. Another good one. No, great book. Gonzalez, I believe. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, Number two, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? The newest kid coming to the door that doesn't know shit. That makes me happy. You know, somebody that, that, um, that is just coming on this job, has no idea what he's got in store for him, has no idea how many male uh, parts he's going to see in the next 20 years, how many fires he's going to go to, the whole kit that, that comes with being a rookie to, you know, a senior man to middleman, you know, just Everything. the whole thing. And it's, it's still, oh. despite all of the problems we're facing, and I think a lot of people, you know, like your first question, what are the, what are the problems? What are this? This is still the best job I ever had. Hell yes. To quote the movie, you know, best job I ever had. It, yeah. it, it will always be. I will never stray anybody away from it. I may stray people away from jobs or organizations, but as a whole, um, this job taught me more about life. Um, I, God, I don't remember who said that recently, but it's like, I learned to be a man on the fire department. I, I started at 19 years old. I learned to change brakes in a firehouse bay. You know, I, 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 there are so many things about life lessons in general that this job taught me that you can't replace. Um, so to be able to take that kid that's 18, 19 years old and watch him move through his career is, is I can't, I, I'm just now getting to the point where I've got guys that are coming on the job young with, how's this, how's this work? Yeah. You have more time on the job than they've been alive. Yes. yes I know <laughs> that yeah. just, that it recently is, started happening to me and I'm like, Holy shit, wait, what's going on? What year were you born? Yeah. <laughs> but it's awesome. And I, and I want to see their passion. I want to give them the passion that I had at that age but also give them, you know, that people, things aren't going to come to you for free. You know, if you want to know more about the engine, you go out and wash that engine for the engineer and then go back in and ask them some questions. That's your payment. You know, take care of the guys above you. They will share their knowledge with you. That, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's, that's what excites me most. Um, because what disappoints me most is not going to fires as much, you know? So it's kind of like, it's the opposite end of that. So I love, I love seeing the new guys come to the door that just have no clue what the next 20 to 30 years are going to hold for them. I love and that. I still, I'm, I'm halfway through, maybe a little more than halfway through now. And um, I still love going to work. I, I, it's, it's the best job ever. It is, man. No, absolutely. And I want to be clear. Uh, Max points on question one, cause I love the lack of war as an answer. Max points on number two, because, uh, I've never, I don't think I've heard that. I've heard I'm excited about the younger generation. I've, I've, I've heard I'm excited about young kids coming into the job, but your laying out of why and what they have in store for them is beautiful because you described, I hired on when I was 20 years old and you just described, yeah. I became a man in the fire service. 
Oh, dude. I mean, there's there's things that hundred uh, percent we can't talk about. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. You know, I get some of us put in jail, but it's part of it's part of growing up. You know, it's it's there's just so much. There's so much great stuff that is going to come from this this job, and and uh, I, I, I'm again, I'm still excited every day that there's there's going to be something I'm going to see Saturday that that is just going to blow my doors off. I'm sure there's no telling what's going to happen. <laughs> so it's good. Question three: Best rank or position to be in in the fire service? I had a hard time. I got a hard time with this one. Okay. Um, yeah. There isn't a bad spot, I don't think. I think um, for a while, being a semi-senior fireman uh, downtown kind of sucked because you, you're ready to kind of make that next move, but maybe you're between tests. You have to go – like where we were, you had to go fill in a lot and get detailed out to different companies, and you go get stuck with a shit company for 24 hours, and you're having to go make four stops for – they don't eat together. So you're like, hey, man, will you, will you run me to Wendy's? And they drop you off at Wendy's first. Then they make three more stops for the other guys, and you come back and you're eating a cold cheeseburger at the station. It's terrible. You know, so uh, – Man, I, I had a blast dr- driving. I think was probably my one of my favorite. It's it, it's still got to be my favorite my favorite position. Um, a lot of guys piss and moan about driving an engine because they're well one they're running all the calls and they're like, man, I want to be inside fighting fire. I'm like, yeah, but I also like smoking other companies into their first alarm. I like seeing how many lines I could get on the ground. I wanted to max that engine out right on. every time I could. The one-line fires or room and contents are the ones I hated. I'm like, anybody, a monkey can pump a, a one-line fire, right. right? So that part was fun. I was very blessed to drive a, a TDA for a, a number of years, and uh, you know that's that's just the coolest thing you can do with your pants on. I think I've made that reference a few different times, but <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> you can't beat that, especially down Peachtree Street. Uh, you know, that's just, man, it, it was, it was, uh, a, an experience I'll, I'll never forget. Um, I love being an officer on an engine. There's, you know, the one thing that, uh, you can guarantee as, as a boss on an engine is you're, you're going in, you're getting all the work because we're, the way I operated and I, the way that my boss has taught me is I was the first one through the door. I'd grab the guy by the nozzle, by the shoulder and drug him down the hall and put him where I needed him to go. So you're getting work. I'm not getting stuck as a control guy at the front door shoving hose in and watching everybody else come out all covered in gravy. I'm always going to be inside. The two guys in the back rotated. So that was always fun. And then, you know, being a truck boss is, is to me, it, I mean, I loved it all. I, I really, again, I, 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 my favorite by a, by a tiny amount was driving, I think. Okay. Uh, you know, you get to say, as a driver, you get to say all the shit the captain can't. You know, he kind of look at me and be like, you know what you need to tell this motherfucker, right? And you have to, you have to say all that without being in trouble. You know, I was his voice, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. There you go. Driver, I, I agree with you, man. There is not a bad position in the fire service because it's the best no. job I ever had, man. So how do you, and, and, and how do you pick one? So it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one. Driving was cool because you had, I still say, my job as an officer is exponentially easier with a very competent driver. Um, they make my job easy. And that dude's got more responsibility on the fire ground than anybody there. I don't care how many cross bugles you got. If he fucks up, the whole operation goes out the window, especially an engine driver. So you've got all the responsibility 
a more responsibility than anybody else on that scene, in my opinion. Um, but you also have the easiest job in the world. You go out there in the morning, have a cup of coffee, wash the rig. I liked washing it by myself. That was my thing. And I'd wash down the front ramp. I don't know why I always did that. It's just, they get I'm OCD is probably why, but have a cup <laughs> of coffee. That was my Zen. Wash down the front ramp, check the rig off. And then I'm chilling the rest of the day. You know, the guys are, you know, I get on the rig, I get them to where they need to go at a, sometimes a high rate of speed. And it was fun, man. I had, I had, uh, I had a blast. I had a couple lieutenants that I drove that just, it was my mission every run, especially a fire run to just absolutely scare the shit out of them. And, it, and I got a few of them. And then, you know, then you get a little bit older and realize that all those extra parts you're finding under the fire truck, from the shop, those are bolts that belong in there. You probably slow it down a little bit, you know, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Love it. Uh, best advice you ever received. Um, another, another, I got a lot of good ones, but, my first battalion chief I had when I hired on um, was like, Hey, just remember one thing. He's like, it's not your emergency. If you lose your shit and get caught up in the, in the mix of the emergency itself, he's you're no good to anybody that to the people that called you. So, you know, pull yourself back from whatever it is that's going on. If you've got a, you know, the ones that I think are, are the hardest to remove yourself from anything with kids, obviously right, is, right. is, is you can throw that out the window. You can't, you can't pull yourself out of that, especially as a parent. Right. Um, fatal car wrecks were always a tough one for me, especially multiples. Um, uh, yeah, that, that, those, those ones are the hard ones That's to hard. me, That's but hard. you got to pull yourself back from it. Get your job done. Don't focus on what, just, just do what you got to do and work it out later. And the best way you can. Yeah, no, that's tough. And then, uh, Final question, number five, heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? I want to be the truck boss on that one. I want to be going in. I want, I want to be the first one in the door, first one through the window. Um, that's, that's, to me, you know, again, such a hard – I just want to be inside. I want to be – <laughs> Just give me inside. <laughs> You can stick me on the nozzle. You can put me on the roof with a saw. You can put me as a first hole through the door, you know, first one through the door uh, or through the window off the of 24. I, I'm, I'm, I just want to be there. I, wow. I don't care. I don't want to be on the plug. I don't want to be standing there charging the hydrant. That's not my thing. But if you can put me, you know, within uh, 10 feet with some good assignment on a fire ground, I'm good. But to your point, you know, the floor above, that's that's where it's at, man. That's 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 the hairy spot. It's the most fun with the most complex um, tactical decisions that have to be made. I think, um, and especially short staffed, which I think a lot of people are. Yeah, everybody's facing. Um, trying to get that coordinated and getting multiple rooms searched with literally no people um, quickly. Again, floor above is the worst place for anybody to be, including us. That's that's fun to me and figuring that out and get it done quick and get a good search in um is is that's to me that's that that's what makes me smile on the way home beautiful answer beautiful way to wrap it up too makes you smile on the way home uh, <laughs> love it max points on number five for sure there it is the five questions for firefighters according to danny dwyer and that is officially 111 the 111st scrap is in the books um if someone wants to get a hold of you uh, what's the best way to do so for more info or any anything like that? Social media, of course. Um, I'm I'm terrible. I, you know, when this whole thing kicked off, 
last year, I got an influx of friend requests. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm like, boom, 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 just going through, a friend requesting everybody. Next thing you know, my news feed's filled with people's kids. I have no idea who they are. You know, <laughs> So I was like, all right, I got to start. So if I don't answer your friend request, bear with me. Um, but shoot me a message on Facebook. Instagram uh, email is pretty easy. It's tailboard10 at gmail. Um, that's it, man. You know, I, I do my level best to answer everybody I can. Um, it might be a few days, but I, I, don't, I don't think I've not returned an email, text, or Facebook message yet. I, I absolutely try and get to them all. Right so, on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Coda, his social media director. Kato, my man. That's, that guy is uh, that guy's something else. He and I are on the job together now, and uh, you talk about one highly motivated individual. That that man is it. So he's uh, he's he's where it's at. Good deal, man. Uh, he's my social media director, so you can also hit up Kato if you need. I, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's in the he's in the chat. Dustin was talking about something about Wendy's being gone, but I don't know what that's about. Oh, I think he's referencing the Wendy's that burned down last year. Gotcha. Okay. So, Some yeah. sort of insight. And, and, you know, shout out to Dustin. I, I appreciate the book reference. He's been, uh, he and I, uh, when did we meet officially? I think we were friends on Facebook. We met for a, uh, at a benefit for a friend of ours that passed away from cancer a couple of years ago, I think, is where we officially met. We became buddies and it bounced a lot of stuff off each other. And so big shout out to him. Thank you for everything. And you're doing a great job with Cancel the Squad. Um, you came up with some fantastic content. So if you're not following him on Instagram yet, you should. Awesome. Uh, Firehouse Visions. Um, I don't even remember everything else I had to say. The, uh, the coins are out. They're, they're almost sold out. So if you want to get one, get one. They're pretty uh, – if it'll snap into focus. Nice. It may snap into focus at some point. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the backside – or the front side, I should say. There it goes. Anyway, they're almost sold out. I, a couple dozen left, I think. So if you want one, jump on firehousevigilance.com. I don't know with supply chain issues. I guess there's something going on with supply chain. Getting stuff is tough. Um, it's a new buzzword for like the last yeah, month, right? No doubt. Um, next up, Kevin Lewis. He was in He was in here tonight. We're going to be talking to him uh, on the, I'm looking at my chart, the 13th of November, followed by Julio Ramos on the 17th. Followed by Chief Mo Davis on the twenty third for the Turkey edition of uh, the scrap. And I will so, not miss that one. No, I'm excited. Yeah, man. Guy, it took a while to get him here. Uh, what he, else do I got? got I'm heading to Arkansas for the first in conference this weekend with Mo Davis and Scott Thompson and Kyle Romagus. I'm forgetting people. I'm, I'm sure I don't mean to. Sean Duffy, I think, is there. And if I'm getting stuff mixed up, I'm sorry. If you see me at the conference, get a picture because I love mutts don't scrap pictures. Uh, I will keep doing this until we're closer to Christmas. If you shop on Amazon, click Amazon Smile and go put Next Rung as your uh, charity Absolutely. and support it. It's a great, great organization. Um, if you know someone who wants to have bunker gear hanging in the background, I'm looking for bunker gear to wear when I go and teach. And Danny Dwyer, you were an unbelievably good guest today. Man, I appreciate it. Let me uh, say something quick Go. about Blake, Blake Stinnett and Next Rung. Um, that guy is unlike any person I've ever met. Um, Blake and I met, I think it was – actually, it was on my birthday, I think, last year in March. Um, what he's doing with Next Rung is, is – wow. I, 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 it's hard to mix words with that one, but um, hell of a guy. 
absolutely phenomenal project. The, the Amazon smile thing, I, I did it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, super, super easy. I hope he's getting a, a little, you know, a couple, some change there from that. But um, what he's doing is, um, is helped me in, in my personal, personal life and yeah. stuff. So Blake, thank you very much. And, um, you know, full disclaimer also on the uh, canceled squad thing, I can't confirm or deny whether Dustin is really running that or not, but I think we all know what's going on there <laughs> fair enough no blake is a uh, and again he's not associated with the scrap in any way shape or form other than i love what he does and i love him so yeah uh yeah george is being represented well good yeah, yeah i'm glad right. um I'm other glad. Than, brother i can't wait to meet you again and uh it'll be good times i don't know if it'll be wichita or where it'll be next but uh, i hope it's somewhere i hope it's sooner than that but we'll, we'll see where the where this whole thing takes us both audience uh, thank you guys for the best questions in the business. It's so much fun. You guys are what makes the scrap uh, so entertaining. And mutts don't scrap, so that's why it's so awesome. Bottom line is, I hope the tone stays silent. Unless it's burning, stay safe out there, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.